So 2 Corinthians, you brought your Bibles, chapter 2, verse 15 is the key verse, but I want to read in context verses 12 through 17 of 2 Corinthians chapter 2. The Apostle Paul writing these words, Now when I went to Troas to preach the gospel of Christ and found that the Lord had opened a door for me, I still had no peace of mind because I did not find my brother Titus there. So I said goodbye to them and went on to Macedonia. But thanks be to God who always leads us in triumphal procession in Christ and through us spreads everywhere the fragrance of the knowledge of him. For we are to God the aroma of Christ among those who are being saved and those who are perishing. To the ones we are the smell of death and to the other the fragrance of life. And who is equal to such a task? Unlike so many, we do not peddle the word of God for profit. On the contrary, in Christ we speak before God with sincerity like men sent from God. Now, the key verse, as I said, verse 15, Christ among us is verse 15, for we are to God the aroma of Christ among those who are being saved and those who are perishing. The, the, the King James says, for we are unto God a sweet savor of Christ. Let me give you a little background here in 2 Corinthians chapter 2. Uh, in these verses, Paul now returned to his report regarding his change of travel plans. His purpose really in coming to Troas had been to preach the gospel while there was a door open for them, as the word says. However, Paul's anxiety regarding the affairs uh, at Corinth seemed to have kept him from taking advantage of, of the open door at Troas. For Paul says, I had no rest, no relax, relaxation, no relief in my spirit. Even as Paul wrote, uh, uh, he, he still had a vivid realization of the agony of spirit that he had felt at Troas when Titus failed to arrive with news from Corinth. Now, this passage shows really the continuation of, of the tension that Paul felt until it grew so strong that Paul eventually said goodbye to his friends and converts and then went on to Macedonia. And so in verse 13, we see, if you will, Paul's anxiety. Well, then in verse 14 and following, we see his gratitude to God for divine deliverance and, and continual triumph in Christ as the gospel was being spread abroad in every, in every place. Now, the fragrance of the knowledge of God was spread throughout the New Testament world by the preaching of God's word and the works of the apostles. In spreading the fragrance of Christ, the apostles themselves became a sweet perfume. This word is used of the fragrance from a sacrifice that is pleasing to God. How many have heard of the book Fox's Book of Martyrs? Some of you have. Uh, a tradition states that when Polycarp was burned at the stake, a similar fragrance was noted being the fragrance, that, that, that fragrance of offering, that fragrance of sacrifice. Well, Paul ends this section here in 2 Corinthians uh, that I just read by reminding his readers that he was no peddler of spiritual goods for material gain. In other words, Paul refused to make merchandise of the gospel, nor would he ever cheapen it by diluting it with foreign, uh, with foreign elements. A note in my study Bible. 
It's the Fire Bible today. It's the full study Bible back then. It says, Paul here describes preachers who were watering down the demands of the gospel to gain money, acceptance, and success. They were talented and persuasive, yet secretly they were insincere. They were greedy for money and, and prominence. And, and, and Kathy taught about this in Sunday school this morning as well. But Paul contrasted the deceitfulness of the religious hucksters of his day with his pure motives and honorable methods in preaching the gospel. In other words, Paul is saying, I received the message from God. He ministered before God. And Paul also saw himself as being accountable to God. And friends, that's also true about you and me. We have received God's message. We have received the message of God's grace, of God's mercy, of God's love. We have received the message of repentance and forgiveness. We are to be ministering before him because ultimately we are answerable to him. And the same thing that was true for Paul is the same for us today. And that's why, honestly, we emphasize missions and have an annual missions convention. We want to be about God's purpose. We want to be about God's business. And friends, from Genesis through Revelation, we see that God is in what is called the redemption business. That's why we do what we do. Because, in other words, because we are the aroma of Christ among those who are being saved and those who are perishing, it's also why we receive, even next week, we'll receive faith promises. It's why we had a Speed the Light Chili fundraiser last Sunday. And by the way, thank you for everyone who participated in that, in giving, in making the chili. It was great. It was wonderful. The cornbread, oh, it's so warm and fresh. I can almost taste it again. But I think that the, the funds right now is... That, 1037 uh, to date that came in so thank you for that that's why we give to bgmc boys and girls missionary challenge it's why we do almsgiving it's why we have missionaries and, and emphasize missions here at this church by the end of may coming up by the end of may we will have had four missionary speakers here at bcf i love missionaries i love missions i love missions for what it does to us individually but i also love missions for what missions does for a church and so this morning we're going to talk about being the aroma of christ christ among us being a people sent from god for a purpose and really being involved in the plan and purpose that God has for his church and that is evangelism. Now the apostle Paul saw ministers of the gospel as messengers of both life and death, of both salvation and excuse me and judgment. In other words, there was this dual effect produced through the ministry of the gospel. A graphic example of this is in Mark chapter 16, where Jesus is speaking, it says in verses 15 and 16, go into all the world and preach the good news to all creation. He that believeth shall be saved, but he that believeth not, Jesus said, shall be condemned. Once again, there's that dual effect of the gospel. We have uh, saved, damned, life, death, 
salvation judgment. Little wonder Paul says in verse 16, or he asks this question, and who is sufficient for, for all these things? In other words, who can, who can do what God's called them to do? And so this is why, honestly, we have a missions convention, a missions emphasis every year, why we emphasize uh, blessing missionaries and praying tonight over missionaries and such. Why? Because we are the aroma of Christ. We are the fragrance, are spreading the fragrance of the knowledge of Him, as Paul says. So why, why are we the aroma of Christ? Number one, we are the aroma of Christ because of the Great Commission. In other words, the basis for worldwide missions is that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, died for people everywhere. And it's all creation, red and yellow, black and white, they are precious in His sight, all right? God's love is worldwide. For God so loved the world that He gave us His one, his one and only Son. And so really obeying the Great Commission simply increases the capacity of the human race to give praise and glory and honor to our King of Kings and our Lord of Lords. The Westminster Catechism answers the question, what is the chief end of man? And their reply is this, the chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. Hallelujah. That's what we're about. We're, we're, we're about having others respond as well to the gospel. And, and I want you to realize this morning that Jesus Christ Himself was a missionary. A missionary is simply a person on a mission, which really then, in effect, makes all of us missionaries because all of us should be on mission. Every one of us should have a purpose, and every one of us, as it was said of David, should be fulfilling the purposes of God in our generation. So here's what Jesus told us to do. It's called the Great Commission, Matthew 28, verse 18. Then Jesus came to them, and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. And then verse 19, Jesus says, Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And Jesus said, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. And so with these words in Matthew 28, is called the Great Commission. With these words, Jesus made it very clear to his disciples what they were to do. These words really were the capstone of his three and a half year, years of ministry. And Jesus makes this powerful claim. He says, guys, all authority has been given to me. But then he makes this transitional connective shift. He says, it's been given to me, but I'm giving it to you. It's as if Jesus Christ is saying, okay, you go. You present to your generation everything that I have taught you, lived for, died for, was resurrected for. You go ahead, you do it. And they did. Matter of fact, these words ignited a passion within the hearts of the disciples that would cause them to suffer persecution and even martyrdom. But it also caused them to turn their world upside down. For within 30 years of the ascension, the gospel spread from Jerusalem to the Indian subcontinent on the east and to Spain on the west. Within four centuries, the term Roman Empire would be replaced by Christendom. Four centuries. You see, this commission wasn't just an afterthought. 
the Great Commission was the culmination of God's plan for man. It was, God, it was a look into God's eternal playbook for humanity. It was, if you will, God's game plan to fulfill his desire that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And so when a Christian today says, well, Pastor Brian, being involved in missions and world evangelization is not for me, I sincerely question that person's relationship with God. I love this quote. It's put on Facebook, our church's Facebook page this past week from Ted Ingstrom. He said this, A congregation which is not deeply and earnestly involved in the worldwide proclamation of the gospel does not understand the nature of salvation. Amen. Amen, Ted. All right. And so if you and I consider ourselves to be followers of Christ, if we're Christians, if we're believers in Christ, then we also must consider ourselves as his disciples, no less called, no less chosen than the very first 12 disciples. And as a disciple of his, guess what? We have been bought with a price, his blood, the blood of Jesus Christ, and we are not our own. In other words, we are to be about his business, not our own business. Let me put it this way. We are to fulfill his will, not my will. Thy will be done. Now, last month I mentioned Isaiah chapter 6 in my preaching. And I talked about how we need to get a vision today. A vision of God as Isaiah had, how God was high and lifted up, seated on his throne. He saw the seraphs crying out, holy, holy, holy. He saw, the, he witnessed the doorposts and the thresholds shaking. And what was his response to seeing the holiness and the majesty and the glory of God? He says, woe to me, for I am ruined. For I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. See, when, church, when you and I see God for who He is, guess what? We're going to see ourselves for who we are. And our only response is Isaiah's response in humility. God, I am unclean. I am undone. God, take the coal. Touch my lips. God, I need cleansing. God, I need you in my life. But that's not the end of the story because in verse 8 of Isaiah chapter 6, we have this God asking, whom will I send? And, and who will go for me? And here's Isaiah having this incredible experience and this revelation of the majesty of God. Isaiah says, God, here am I. Send me. In other words, God, I'll go. I will, I will do what you're asking me to do. You see, when God gets a hold of a person's heart, that person gives God permission to do in and through them what God wants to do. It's like, Lord, here I am. I'm your disciple. I will be about your business. And you came to seek and save the lost. And that's the business I want to be about. Friends, Jesus' command is definite and clear. It's his great mandate, his great commission, if you will, to the soldiers in God's army. That's why we must spread the fragrance of him everywhere, the fragrance of the knowledge of him everywhere, and be involved in missions And our, because our great commander-in-chief has commanded us to go. We are the aroma of Christ. And Jesus says, guys, I appointed you. I, I chose you to go and bear fruit. He has commanded us to go. He has appointed us to go. I honestly believe that the true greatness of any church 
is not how many it seats, but how many it sends. This church, there's a sign out there, seating capacity, 511. Empty there, balcony, about 100, and empty spots all over the place. But if we were full and we had 511 people here, it'd be great, it'd be wonderful. But how many are we sending, not just seating? How many are going? How many are we supporting? How many missions, endeavors around this world? So Oswald J. Smith said, any church that is not seriously involved in helping fulfill the Great Commission has forfeited its biblical right to exist. Yeah, who is right? (laughs) Or Oswald Chambers said it so clearly. The basis of missionary appeals is the authority of Jesus Christ, not the needs of the heathen. We go, why? Because he's commanded us to go. And we spread everywhere the fragrance of the knowledge of him because he told us to go, Christ among us. And guess what? His command is simple, it's repeated, it's a last command, it's an authoritative command, but it's also a doable command. You see, missions is not a denominational idea. The Assemblies of God does not have a corner on the market for missions. All right, missions is, is simply a, a command from Jesus Christ that we must go and be about his business. It's a command from him. It's the church's marching orders. Therefore, when you begin to think missionally, you realize, you know, this is not somebody else's responsibility. It's my responsibility. God has given me a job to do, and God has given each of you, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, a job to do as well. 2 Peter 3.9 reminds us that God is not willing that any should perish, but that all would come to repentance. Because we are the aroma of Christ, we want to fulfill the Great Commission. Number two is this. There's also the Great Harvest. Now, growing up in the Midwest, specifically Iowa, helped me get acquainted with the harvest. Now, we have, I have all the Iowa farmers Our Midwest farmers, I should say, raise your hands. If you're from the Midwest, North Dakota farmers, raise your hands. From Iowa farmers, you'd be a farmer. Farmers from Minnesota, all right. Anybody else I've missed? Farmer from? Iowa. Okay, from Iowa. All right, so we have a lot of farmers here today. And God bless you. Thank you for feeding the world. Amen. Thank you, farmers, for what you do. You see, God, God bless our farmers for feeding the nation and the world, and uh, farmers honestly know about the harvest. They know about the surrounding land and what's, what's that, that about. Uh, farmers take care of their land. They keep watch of the weather. I remember Alvin planting seed corn for Pioneer. You know, he would, he would get down on his knees and say, Okay, God, I planted the corn. The rest is up to you. You know, basically, God, the rain's up to you, the weather's up to you. I've done my part, and friends, God's looking for us to do our part to plant the seed of his word. Amen? And, and why? Because the harvest is there. Now, Jesus said this in Matthew 9, 37 and 38. The harvest is plentiful, but the workers, they're few. And then he says, therefore pray. It's the only prayer request Jesus left with the church. And Jesus says, therefore pray the Lord of the harvest to do what? To send out workers into his harvest. And then John 4, 35, do, do, you, not say, uh, do you not say four more months in the harvest? He says, no. I tell you, open your eyes and look at the fields. They are ripe today. Right now, the fields are ripe for harvest. 
I've said before, but it bears repeating, the success of missions is not, is not to see what's in the barn. The success of missions is to see what's left in the field. That's why you and I have been given the gift of the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost. The word Pentecost is really a, a, a harvest festival. It equates harvest. To be a Pentecostal, to be spirit-filled, is to be a missionary, to be on point in missions. In other words, we cannot be a Pentecostal church, a spirit-filled church, and not support missionaries. And yet my heart grieves because about half of our Assembly of God churches give nothing to missions. Why are you a church if you're not interested in world evangelization? You know what I'm saying? So, so we have, really, we have an obedience problem because we have a love problem. Acts 1.8, Jesus said, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will feel goosebumps on your arms. Doesn't say that. And you will feel goosebumps on your neck. Doesn't say that. And you will speak in tongues. Doesn't say that. And you will be my witnesses. Literally, in the Greek language, you will be my martyrs. You will be the generation that is willing to lay down its life, if you will, for the cause of the gospel. And I thank God today there are those that say, God, I don't care. My life belongs to you. I'm going to preach your word. I'm going to go where you want me to go. I'm going to do what you want me to do God I will obey you because I am your witness I am your martyr amen, amen. in Jerusalem Judea Samaria and to the ends the utmost part of the, of the earth friends we have been empowered by the Holy Spirit to be his witness missiologist Oswald J Smith said no one has a right to hear the gospel twice while there remains someone who has not heard it once and he said also, he said, the mission of the church is missions. Jesus, in sharing about the signs of the end of the age, said in Matthew 24, verse 14, and this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then, and then the end will come. In other words, the sooner you and I can get the gospel out. The sooner the world is told is the sooner his return. And I believe it's soon. But the reason Jesus Christ hasn't come back yet for his bride is because there are still lost people that he wants to save. Amen? And so we are commanded to go. The harvest is great. We are the aroma of Christ thirdly because of the great day of the Lord. So we have the great commission the great harvest, and the great day of the Lord. I don't know about you, but when Jesus returns for his bride, I want to be found occupying until he comes. I want to be found doing his will. All right? And Jesus even said in John 9, 4, As long as it is day, we must do the work of him who sent me. And then Jesus said this, Night is coming when no man can work. Night is coming. Now, today is the day of salvation. Not tomorrow. Now is the time. This is the year of the, of the favor of God. One of the saddest verses in the Bible, and I learned this from Leonard Ravenhill in his teaching, but is Jeremiah 8, verse 20. That says this, 
The harvest is past. The summer has ended. And we are not saved. The harvest is past. Summer has ended. And we are not saved. Now, we don't know when the last altar call is going to be given. I, for one, am glad that the last altar call wasn't given on February 19, 1983, because I got saved the very next day. And if that was the last altar call the day before, I would be, I would be burning in hell today. Real, realism, all right? But we don't know when the last altar call is going to be given. We don't know whose name will be the very last name in his book of life. But we know it hasn't happened yet. We know that God today, right now, is still on a throne of mercy. God is still on a throne of grace. Hallelujah. But I can tell you, church, according to God's word, one day God's mercy, one day God's grace is going to be cut off forever. But as long as there's one person in our city, as long as there's one person that does not know Jesus Christ, we have a job to do. The church must grow, even if there's one more person that would say yes to Christ. See, we must be to them the fragrance of the knowledge of Him. We must be that aroma of Christ among those who are perishing and, and, and really the fragrance of life to those who are being saved. You see, the table, the banquet table is being ready and God's Word promises in Revelation 19.9, blessed are those who are invited to the wedding supper of the Lamb. See, we are called, we are called to go into all the world to make disciples. See, Jesus is coming again. The great day of the Lord. Do we believe that? And if we really believe in his imminent return, how are we living our lives in light of eternity? What are we doing? I said a few weeks ago, the only thing we can take with us is souls in worship. Really. And so what, how, how are we living our lives? I mean, are, are, we, are, are we living our lives for that which will outlast us? Jesus, again, says, Matthew 24, 14, and this gospel will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then, yes, the end will come. Now, I can't tell you in the last, last few months, actually, how many testimonies I've heard uh, from individuals, from Christians, Christian leaders, uh, uh, people in Israel, uh, but, but, but Jesus Christ himself appearing to the Palestinians. There's been hundreds of instances where he's appeared two Palestinians, and they're getting saved, even to some in Hamas as well as Hezbollah. Why? Because God doesn't want anyone to perish. He wants all to come to repentance. Maybe this morning you come into this church and your heart's not right with God. There is sin in your life. I am here to tell you that your sin will separate you from God. But if you'll repent this morning, if you'll come clean before God and say, God, I am a sinner in need of a Savior, guess what? God's going to save you to the uttermost. God's going to do a work in your heart. God's going to pour out His grace in your life as you humble yourself before for him. But God is not willing that any should perish, but that all would come to repentance. And really, if you have been forgiven by God, there really is only one response. And that response is, God, I want to see other people's names written in your book of life. Now, let me challenge you today to be in prayer as to what God would have you do regarding your faith promise giving next week. Be praying about that. Years ago, when I was a children's pastor in Bettendorf, Iowa, we had a missionary come 
And I forgot the guy's name, but I was, I was really moved by his, by his presentation and, and tears at the altar at the end. But he said this, the one-liner that stuck with me. If we stay, we pray, and we pay. He's called his church to go. But if we stay, we pray, and we pay. Because just as God has called and raised up people to go, he's also called you and me to support those who are going. How shall they preach unless they are sent? Missionary William Carey said this. He said, I will go down to the pits if you will hold the rope. You see, prayer is one rope, and our missionaries need our prayer. The other rope is financial, financial support. One more story, and then I'll close talking briefly about faith, promise, giving. And I love this story. I just read it this past week. Never knew about the details. But how many of you have ever heard the name Edward Kimball? Anybody? You've heard of Edward Kimball? Wow. Bless you. <laughs> Bless you, Lord. I've never heard of Edward Kimball. Well, honestly, Edward Kimball, his only claim to fame is that he faithfully taught teenage boys in Sunday school well over 150 years ago. It was the year 1858 in Boston, Massachusetts, that a young teenage stranger entered Mr. Kimball's classroom. And it was immediately obvious to all within the class that this stranger was a country boy. He seemed nervous, unrefined, and totally unfamiliar with how one should act or even behave in church. Well, handing the new boy a Bible, Mr. Edward Kimball asked the class to turn to the Gospel of John. Well, when this country boy didn't know how to find the Gospel of John, the other boys began to snicker at him, make fun of him, they began to laugh at him. Well, quickly recognizing what was happening, Edward Kimball opened the boy's Bible to the proper place and handed the Bible back to him. He then proceeded to ask all the boys to read, and not surprisingly at all, the country boy fumbled terribly as he attempted to read this passage of Scripture in John's Gospel. Well, at this point, many might have been tempted to write off the boy, but not Edward Kimball. He possessed a big perspective, and a heavenly one at that. He saw beyond the problems to the great possibilities that lie in that boy, that country boy. Well, from that day forth, Mr. Kimball lovingly and patiently worked with this boy. After several months, the Lord laid it on the heart of Mr. Kimball to visit the boy at the town shoe store where he worked as a shoe clerk. When he arrived, Mr. Kimball found the boy in the back room stacking boxes, and with great love and care, he asked the boy if he might talk with him about Jesus. Well, as a result of that visit and the investment that Edward Kimball had been making in this young boy's life, the boy placed his trust in Jesus Christ that day and became a follower of Christ. Who was this boy? His name was Dwight L. Moody. I didn't know all this. Dwight Moody went on to become a great evangelist in the last century. But the story doesn't end there. You see, in 1879, God used Dwight L. Moody's preaching to awaken the evangelistic zeal of a young pastor by the name of F.B. Meyer. 
And I have his books in my library, in my office. Months later, while preaching to an American college campus, F.B. Meyer brought Christ to a student by the name of J. Wilbur Chapman. After placing his faith in Christ, J. Wilbur Chapman engaged in the work of YMCA. Probably most of you are not familiar or aware of it today, but, but the YMCA was originally a Christian ministry to provide lodging, exercise, Bible study, and godly social activities for young men in large urban areas. It wasn't the village people, you know, with the... <laughs> the letters YMCA are actually an abbreviated title for Young Men Christian Association. While ministering... The story continues. While ministering among the YMCA, Mr. Chapman employed and discipled a former baseball player by the name of Billy Sunday to do his evangelistic work. Well, Billy Sunday then held a revival in Charlotte, North Carolina. And a group of local men were so enthusiastic after that revival that they planned another evangelistic campaign bringing Mordecai Ham to town to preach. During Mordecai Ham's revival, a young man named Billy Graham heard the gospel and yielded his life to Christ. And the rest is history. Amen. I share that story with you to demonstrate how we are the aroma of Christ. How we are spreading the fragrance of Him everywhere. And that lives are being changed for eternity. You see, as we share the gospel... As we live our lives for the Lord, we are impacting people for generations, generations to come. Now, only God knows the impact that, that we'll make. But think of the impact we have from this Sunday school teacher teaching teenagers to Dwight Moody, to F.B. Meyer, to Wilbur Chapman, to Billy Sunday, Mordecai Ham. Billy Graham. Think of the thousands upon thousands of souls that have been won through the Billy Graham Association and evangelistic crusades. Now, what I see here is God's, what I call God's chain of grace. All going back to a Sunday school teacher that says, I can make a difference in the lives of teenagers. You might be thinking, well, Pastor, what I do makes little difference. I only teach little kids. Oh, wait a minute. Back it up. You are teaching and impacting little kids who will grow up to be adults. Hopefully, hearing the gospel, they'll respond. You have no idea the eternal impact you are making by teaching that lesson in Sunday school. Never belittle the little. Never belittle the little. Now, unfortunately, all responses to, to the gospel are not positive. I mean, we are to God the aroma of Christ among those who are being saved and those who are perishing. That dual effect, once again, of the gospel. That's why every Christian should ask themselves, what sort of influence am I setting in motion by my missions giving and my missions going? Who knows in eternity because of your giving, my giving, others giving to support missions and missionaries, who knows the effect of the gospel, the impact that the gospel will make in people's lives that will change the course of history, literally.
in this world. See, by my sharing, by your sharing the gospel, by being the aroma of Christ, we are impacting the lives of others. Next week, next Sunday, is Faith Promise Sunday. We have Paul and Shelley Singh going to be with us both Saturday night, 5 p.m., and then Sunday morning. The Singhs just retired last year from their mission's life. And I can't wait to hear kind of, I've never had a missionary that just retired to come and speak, so I'm, this is maybe a first, but I'm, I'm, I'm excited about that. But, but God just using them over the years, and, and really the, a major reason why we as the Assemblies of God was formed back in 1914 was literally to support missions and world evangelization. I mean, the Bible says, once again, this gospel shall be preached into, around the whole world, then the end shall come. Well, faith promise giving makes this all possible because we are helping getting the word out because when all have heard, he's coming back. All right? And so to me, I don't know, but over the years, supporting missions is a privilege. It's a, it's a wonderful privilege. God challenged me back in Bible college saying, Brian, this is back when, when uh, I got to think, um, cable TV was like $12, $14 a month. I remember going to a mission service at chapel and the Holy Spirit saying, if you can afford cable TV, you can afford to give to missions. Because cable TV, even today, in our consumer mentality, it's an option. It's not a demand. It's, it's, it's a want, not a need. All right? But so I started making a faith, a faith promise when I was in Bible college being dirt poor. All right? And God always provided a faith promise, by the way, is not your tithe. The first, the, the first 10%, the first tenth of your income is the Lord's belongs in your local church. A faith promise is beyond your tithe. It's really a sacred act, a spiritual agreement with God that we're saying, God, with your help, I will do thus and so. Now, faith promise is not even a pledge. A pledge is what your budget will allow. You look at your funds, your income, you look at your outgo. As I heard a uh, an evangelist Jack Glass years ago say, say this, when your outgo exceeds your income, then your upkeep will be your downfall. But seriously, it's not, a, it's not a budget item. It's a faith promise saying, God, this is what I feel you're putting on my heart. And it's by faith because on paper, I don't know how you're going to work things out, but God always does. See, God will give much more through us than he'll give to us. Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, seven chapters later, Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. And he says this, You'll be made rich in every way so that you can be generous on all occasions. In other words, God blesses us so we can be a blessing. Blessed to be a blessing. And notice that what God multiplies here is not your bread for food. What God multiplies is our seed for sowing. In other words, God increases not what you and I consume, but what we give away. His word is true. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. But whoever sows generously will also reap generously. You see, friends, I want us, you and I, to be Christ to others, Christ among us, to be those that are spreading the fragrance of the knowledge of him, that are those who, who are the, 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 the aroma of Christ, really to the lost. And so we can see the great commission, the great harvest, 
and be ready for the great day of the Lord. When it comes down to it, here's the truth. The value that you and I place on the lost will be determined by the sacrifice you and I are willing to make to seek them until they are found. But thanks be to God, who always leads us in triumphal procession in Christ, and through us spreads everywhere the fragrance of the knowledge of Him. Oh, taste and see, world, that the Lord is good. You know, the fragrance of the knowledge of Him. For we are to God the aroma of Christ among those who are being saved and those who are perishing. To the one, the smell of death, to the other, the fragrance of life. Verse 16. And who is equal to such a task? Who is equal to such a task? As Isaiah said, God, I am. God, I'll do what I can do. God, I'll give where I can give. God, I'll plant seed where I can plant seed. Why? Because I want to see a harvest of righteousness. I want to see souls being saved. I want to see lives being changed for eternity. Maybe it's teaching that class to those boys, but you're influencing them for the cause of the kingdom. And you never know, generations to come, how you might be the aroma of Christ to a student that might become the next great Billy Graham, if you will, or Mordecai Ham, or, you know, fill in the names, whatever. Who, who, is, who is worthy of, of a task like that? I am. You are. As we give, as we go, let's stand to our feet. I trust God by His Spirit has been challenging you as He has me and that we consider, yeah, Christ is among us, but we are the aroma of Christ. We can make a difference in people's lives. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for the challenge of your word that we can continue to spread the fragrance of the knowledge of you, God, to people that desperately need you. Jesus, thank you for appearing to the Palestinians as, you have been, as you've been doing, and, and many of them testifying, they've, been, they've, be, they've become Christians but they also know it's going to cost them their lives as martyrs for you. And I pray, Father God, that there just be the continuation of, of, of the, the, the Holy Spirit drawing people into a saving relationship with Jesus Christ. God, I pray that you would build your church here in Mesa, Arizona, throughout this state, throughout this country, throughout this world. And God, that, that people would come to know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, that the lost be found, Jesus that we'd be about your business, that we'd be in the redemption business. And so, Father God, today, in this next week, as we prepare for our missions convention next weekend, I just pray, God, that you would so clearly speak to us, and God, that we would be able to say, God, I, with faith, I'm believing this. I don't know how you're going to do it, but God, you're going to do it. And I thank you for the wonderful opportunity to be involved in the work that you've come to do, God through us, through your church, God, through Resurrection Street Ministry, through the various outreaches, whatever it might be, Father God, bless your people so in turn they can be a blessing to others in your name. Amen.